wondrous capabilities. Welcome to Now Playing's In the Name of the King retrospective series. Our kingdom, our very existence is threatened from without. You have been brought here as the prophecy has decreed. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Why do the gods fail me? Why? Hosted by Arnie. He was loved by all. Until? Until the Dark Ones rose. Justin. He's not known for his hasty opinions. And Stuart. He must be the warrior they all talk about. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You're very, very naughty. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. All right, let's get to it. Today we're discussing In the Name of the King 2, Two Worlds, starring Dolph Lundgren, Natasha Moth, Lachlan Monroe, yes, directed by you Bull. My name is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and you'd be surprised how many times that's gotten me laid. And Stuart. And this is Justin, and this movie must have broken me. Oh wait, wrong franchise. <laughs> No, this movie may well have broken you, or broken you bull. What is he doing here? Yeah, what is the catalyst? This movie's obsessed with catalysts. Let's take your most expensive flop and say more. Like, that's the crazy thing. I get that Uva can take a nickel and get a penny out of it, but $60 million went into In the Name of the King, and $13 million came out internationally after squeezing everything. That is an enormous write-off. That is terrible, terrible box office. He insists that, quote, it did very well worldwide. And I also think that maybe because there was a new Dungeon Siege game coming out in 2011, it was Dungeon Siege 3, maybe they thought that that was something that they could capitalize on, free advertisement. Arnie, you already said that that game wasn't very good, didn't get good reviews. And it wasn't even done by the people who did the first two. It was done by a Microsoft team. The original developers were working on other stuff and licensed out the name. Yeah, interestingly enough, I was looking at what they were doing. They had partnered with Sega on some kind of sci-fi spinoff. They were going to do the same thing again, but call it Space Siege. And you were like on some space station battling a race of bugs called the Karak instead of the Krug. I mean, but same shit, different bottle. It worked actually very well. For Blizzard, because they did Warcraft, which was medieval times, and then they did Starcraft, which was space. I mean, and it was three races. It was very similar, but it got a lot of fans that way. So what they were doing, they were following in the steps of a company that had done it successfully. Yeah, well, thank God it bombed, because otherwise we'd probably have Uva running around grabbing people at Comic-Con with Spock ears and saying, you're my new star. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> $4 million is what he's able to scrape together to make part two. Here's my question right off the top, though. If the first one was just subtitled a Dungeon Siege movie, that was the tie to the video game. Not so much the video game itself. Like, I know we had the character Farmer and stuff like that, and the land and the Krugs and all that. But this one doesn't have anything to do with Dungeon Siege, does it? It's not in the title anywhere, is it? It's just in the name of the king, too. 
Yeah, I don't know how much bump they were getting off of the new Dungeon Siege 3 coming out or the fact that people even saw the first one. I can tell you what Uva is complaining about on the director's commentary. I sat through all of it and he's fuming that it's so hard for him to get funding for these movies now because of the stock market collapse and DVD piracy. <laughs> They're stealing his films and therefore he's not getting the profit. It isn't because he made House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, or in the name of the king. It's the fact that we've just all stolen those films and refused to give him his riches. I wish I'd stolen those films and not paid for them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Please. But who is giving him this $4 million? That's the thing is, is there a studio who's like, we want this movie? Or is it Bowl being an indie filmmaker and putting the financing together himself and then getting distribution through Fox. Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about how money losses are actually money gains for him and how he's conning people and the soundtracks are made by aspiring bands that pay him to be on them. And we don't really know what it is for Uva Bull to uh, walk away from this, what's in his bank account. But yes, whoever the investors are, whoever's actually sinking in the millions, Poor them. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised to find out that he's being financed by Ukrainian drug lords and this is all just a laundering scheme. Uh, yeah, no, it feels like a crime. Watching this feels like a crime. It feels like we're participating in some <laughs> kind of money laundering scheme. And I want to come clean. I want to stop doing it. I'm ready to go the straight and narrow and never do anything this dirty again. And yet we've got at least four more bowl films, right? Yeah, Three Blood Reigns, Another Dungeon Siege, and something called Far Cry. But I do feel like, chronologically speaking, the year 2011, actually he filmed this in 2010. It took a year for somebody, I think it was Fox, to actually pay whatever he was asking, the ransom to put it out on Blu-ray. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's drying up. By 2016, there are no more films coming. We've had four years without Uva Boll. The thing is, he just has so many irons in the fire, so many movies that he makes within a year. I think it took a while for people to figure out what he was making was not what they were promised. And at this point, the tack is, we're going to start with what we did in Dungeon Siege, but we're going to, quote, do something different and surprising. And he grabbed the screenwriter of another film he was making simultaneously, Blood Rain 3, and said, what do you got? This screenwriter has his own commentary. I had to watch this movie three times. <laughs> and he kept saying the word modern. He was like, you know, I'm a modern guy, as if we all aren't. I mean, yes, we all <laughs> live in modern times. I didn't come from another era in time travel. But he kept insisting that being so modern, he thought it would be fun to see a contrast with the past by having a character that could, yes, time travel and go back and to straddle two worlds, as the subtitle will indicate. And so that was always the driving force in what they wanted to do, was not worry too much about things that are out of the time period. We can shoot in modern-day Vancouver and the nearby park, and yeah, we only have to do costuming half the shoot. I can't let that title slide without commenting real quick. That very much feels like a working title that was supposed to be changed later, because it's In the Name of the King 2 colon two worlds just come up with some different worlds apart or something but don't have the number two right next to the number two in your stupid sequel just go the resident evil route just don't have a number in the title 
Yeah, I don't think we want to be reminded of uh, In the Name of the King 1. I mean, I don't know what you're getting at by reminding us, particularly since if we remembered anything about it at all, it was that it starred Jason Statham. And guess what? For $4 million, Jason Statham is not available. (laughs) You know, Uva was, of course, like, he's a big star now. He's off, you know, making films like Nomeo and Juliet, expendable (laughs) sequels. You can't get him, but you can get Dolph. Who was also doing Expendable sequels. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again, is probably not considered leading man material in 2010. Or ever, really. I mean, (laughs) we did kind of, I coined the term Dolphed as a descriptor for someone who single-handedly ruins a (laughs) B-movie when we covered The Punisher. You know, he's funny, though. Like, even with his rep of making mostly crap, he had standards, and Uva Ball challenged them. He appeared on the bonus material, quote, I'm just going to read what he said verbatim. I haven't worked with Uva before or seen his films. Ooh. He's an interesting guy. I understand why some people criticize him. He's brisk. It leads to his own kind of style. To me, that just sounds like a diplomatic way of saying this guy is a tool that doesn't know what he's doing, and he screams (laughs) at everyone on set, and he claims he ultimately did this movie because he had some things to pay for. Drugs. (laughs) Hopefully. I would want some. And here's the really bizarre part. Does he think we've forgotten He-Man? He says, I've never done anything like this before. I mean, we all saw Masters of Universe and threw tomatoes at him for it, but he claims that this is stretching in terms of his acting. I knew nothing about this movie coming in other than it had Dolph Lundgren and not Jason Statham. But what I expected was, I mean, it's called In the Name of the King 2. I knew Statham wasn't coming back. They killed off John Rhys Davies, Ron Perlman, Ray Liotta, and Burt Reynolds. All their name stars are dead. (laughs) Oh, if only they could have a Burt cameo, though. Wouldn't it just be so much better? But I thought, honestly... We might see the return of a Lily Sobieski or some of the other people, Talwin, Bastion, some of the people who were in In the Name of the King 1. I just thought they'd be hanging around Dolph now. Yeah, well, Bastion actually, that actor actually said, after making that film, I'm never making another movie again with Uva or anyone else. So again, I think once you do Uva once, maybe you are good. I think that guy had paid his dues and was like, I'm going to try insurance or pet grooming or something else. He was (laughs) bowled out of the business. (laughs) All right, let's take a little inventory real quick then. We've got... A sequel to a movie franchise that was only tenuously connected to a video game in the first place. We got a director who's still on board, wanting to write a completely different story from what he felt like the first one was. Different, surprising, and cheap. <laughs> and no returning actors. What could go wrong? <laughs> Arnie, give him the plot. Let's find out. In present-day Vancouver, and I need to stress that, in modern times... Mm. Dolph Lundgren plays retired Special Forces Major come karate teacher Glenn Granger. Being that this is the 21st century, Granger is rightly confused when his house is invaded by a group of cloaked assassins. (laughs) From medieval times, yes. And not the restaurant. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. (laughs) I mean, couldn't it be? Not making things any clearer is a sorceress named Ileana who opens a magical portal and takes Granger back in time to the Kingdom of Ebb which I never knew was set in Canada. (laughs) Why do they have English accents? They're very proud of it up there. (laughs) 
that Ileana is killed after they arrive in the past. And in Ebb, Granger meets with the king, also known as Raven, played by Lachlan Monroe. And if you're wondering why we have the guy from Dead Man on campus instead of Jason Statham as king, <laughs> it's because a plague spread through the kingdom and took away all but $4 million. <laughs> I'm glad that's your pull for him, too. That's what I always remember him from. <laughs> he did some Hallmark movies. I didn't know that he had anything else on his resume. Oh, he, he was in White Chicks and... Well, shit. Night at the Roxbury. He looks like one of the lesser acts of the British invasion, doesn't he? Like the monkeys or Herman's Hermits. That haircut. He was in Freddy vs. Jason. We covered him there. Okay. But he normally hangs out with the Wayans, you know, little man. and Yeah. It doesn't seem like a far step away from the Wayans to Uva Bowl, but please continue. The king says that Granger is the chosen one prophesied to kill a witch called the Holy Mother. When Granger comes face to face with the Holy Mother, he realizes he's been lied to. The Holy Mother and her assassins were sent to the future to save Granger, not kill him. See, Granger is the son of King Conrad, who in the last movie was played by Statham. In case you don't remember that memorable name, Conrad, because we mostly called him Farmer. Well, Granger, his farmer's son, and was hidden in the future in case any treachery would threaten his life. And that treachery came from King Raven, who created a plague that ravaged the kingdom and allowed him to seize power. Granger pursues Raven, but the king has decided to go to Granger's future and let loose his plague. For reasons. Granger chases Raven to modern day and narrowly stops the former king from spreading the poison by drowning him in a bathtub. And Granger wonders if we'll ever see these people from the past again, as I hope we don't, <laughs> and credits roll. <laughs> yeah, they were very proud of it. The screenwriter was like, I really wanted to start with something to blow your mind. And they're very proud of this shot that seems like it's a battle in a medieval forest until Alania runs out into a modern street and we see the skyline of Vancouver in the distance. I was floored. I got to say they got the reaction they wanted from me. Oh, good. Because I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't read a line <laughs> about this. I knew nothing about time travel. And I'm just looking like this, like, holy fuck. Are they really so cheap that they're now going to say a dungeon siege game is taking place in modern day Vancouver? <laughs> I thought the whole movie was going to take place in Vancouver. <laughs> Wait till you see the castle, man. I mean, one huff and puff and that thing is blowing down. It's awesome. Remember that play you did in third grade? I was, it was a better castle. I was thinking about that a lot during this. <laughs> It's awesome. But yes, I guess that's one way to handle it. Again, $4 million and Dolph is on the pay roll. You know that they got to cut corners. And so if they're going to straddle two worlds and go back and forth in time, okay, I like some time travel stories. Do something with that. They always wanted to include this as the opening. They did not want this moment to be followed with Dolph Lundgren and a gee playing to children. This was what got compromised when Dolph Lundgren said, I must show my action skills. Apparently, Dolph is a black belt. He's still stiff as hell. He's no more limber than he was as He-Man. But he was like, I'm an action guy, and I'm not doing what's in this script. What's in the script was Eliana was running to a museum, and there was like a lonely security guard. Oh, thank God he was a security guard and not a curator. No, but he kind of was obsessed with these medieval paintings that would, of course, be his 
own family ancestry, and he had all this lore and backstory. I really felt bad for the screenwriter because it sounds like he really tried. I'm not saying it was good, but it sounds like he spent a lot of time in between tokes <laughs> coming up with some kind of story that would be worth telling in a movie. And Dolph walked in and said, absolutely not. You must feature me in an action scene. I'm going to start off on the battlefield, and that's how it's going to go. And they said, but Dolph, we have no money for the battlefield, but we do have this dojo. <laughs> <laughs> so when you can't do an epic jungle Vietnam War battle, you can do this. All I was thinking about, we're recording this, it's tax season right now, QuickBooks has ads everywhere, and I'm thinking, is this Koala Kai? Because Martin <laughs> Cove is doing the ads, he's doing Koala Kai, I'm like, oh my god. Plus, I think Dolph took over for the Kindergarten Cop series. This was considered warm-up, but I'll tell you later where in the plot it would have made sense, but to his demands, they said, okay, you're an action guy, we can't have you be Paul Blart, you can't be some security guard, we'll have you kick in the ass of somebody, but it really does make a little more sense that he would have been in battle. I'll explain why later when we get into the time travel part of it but this was a compromise due to budget and i think these guys are supposed to be the platoon that lived but there are also some other platoon members that didn't come home and what was strange to me was that uva said they are soldiers from the first gulf war which I looked up and I don't even think 70 people died. And when he has that photo that he's looking at, there's clearly like trees and greenery in it. And I'm like, I don't think that they were in the Gulf War. And the first Gulf War, so 20 years earlier, he's still drinking that same bottle of scotch. He's drinking like a shot a year, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that they wanted it. That was what felt age appropriate. And it was one where chemical weapons were involved. If you remember, Saddam Hussein threatened to kill the Kurds with chemical weapons and chemical weapons are a part of this plot. And so that was kind of what they were going for with the idea that he was very experienced with watching a madman poison his people. That is undersold in this movie. Well, most things are and should be because they're damn cheap. <laughs> but let's move on. We have him. It's not exactly funny. If kids are there, it should be cute, right? But like this scene of him beating up people neither proves that he's tough nor that he's cuddly and lovable. But Dolph isn't too bad. We've seen worse for sure. Dolph isn't the thing pulling me out of this movie. I don't know if this person exists but the person I'm about to posit here is maybe a, a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old, for whatever reason, saw the original In the Name of the King and for whatever reason became a fan of that movie. It was like, all right, great. Maybe they liked Lord of the Rings so much and this was just extra material for them. And then four years later, they hear there's a sequel. And they sit down and they watch this and this comes on. Can you imagine the heartbreak for that one poor little kid who was a fan of this series? We all got to go through it. I do remember dealing like, you know, it often happened with the posters. You'd see like a poster for a movie that looked like Star Wars. Then you'd go and you found out it was some Roger Corman cheapie. And this is definitely going to break the six-year-old that loved the original's heart. But the scene makes no sense because you see him fighting mercenaries or soldiers or fortune or something and he's fighting them. You don't even see the kids at first. It's a reveal that he's doing this so he can buy geese for the impoverished kids. I mean, this is such a trope of filmmaking, though. Establish up front, he's a nice guy through some act. And here, it's 
He's kicking ass for homeless kids. Right. And uh, also taking off his own gi and showing war scars. He lives alone, although it's a pretty nice house. I was surprised it wasn't Uva's house. I had to look that up. I'm like, did Uva just shoot in his house? No, they actually rented a house and shot for a day. But yeah, they do all the things that are shorthand for how do we make you like this guy? This is a war hero who lost half his platoon. The ones that he wasn't kicking the ass of at the dojo are in this photograph and he He's toasting. This is supposed to be the anniversary of their death. I don't know if that came through or not. Yeah. I assumed such. I mean, why else would he drink that day? Yeah, and he said something about see you next year. But I will say I'm not going to put this on Dolph's shoulders because he's delivering on this setup of a, a lovable character or whatnot. You have to put it on the editor and the director that these scenes, especially this particular scene where he's reminiscing about his old war buddies, just lingers for way, way, way too long. In fact, it's lingering so long that I'm noticing something that will obsess me for the rest of the film. The camera never stops moving, and not in a good way, not in a dynamic Scorsese way, but in a I'm filming my kid's birthday party on my phone, kind of just, it tilts, it shakes, it just bobs up and down like they're on a boat. I honestly am like, did they choose to shoot this without a tripod? Because on $4 million, you can get a tripod. Dolph is sitting there taking a fucking drink and the camera just is bobbing like a boat in the water. And I'm like, what the fuck? There are a few shots, mostly special effects shots, where the camera stops its fucking bob and can't. But for most of this movie, it literally feels like a dad with a camcorder on a birthday party. I think part of the problem is they've chosen to introduce, yes, he kicked a few asses in a dojo, but his first real life or death fight is in a living room. This is really, really confined, claustrophobic, step around the futon, like, and yeah, I don't know where you put camera and lights if you got to get three ninjas in here and a guy with a gun. I mean, it's just, they're all up in each other's grill and it looks terrible. There's also some strange set choices here too. Like, I don't know if that's just the bathtub they had in that house, but it looks like a, a farm trough. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I don't know what that was. I covet that van. Like, how many people do you think you could fit in there? At least 80, right? It was enormous. <laughs> You could recreate like Titanic. He could shoot Titanic too, and is probably thinking about it. Uma Bowl could do it right there in that tub. It is a little bit like the one from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, amazing tub. I don't know. Maybe that's the standard up in Vancouver. I've never taken a bath in Vancouver. <laughs> And then the, his choice to leave his weapon glued to the bottom of the drawer in his bedroom is, is also a weird choice. He lives alone. Just keep it under your pillow. Yeah, the screenwriter said they had a whole other thing planned. And again, every choice that you question and you go, well, why did they do that? 90% of the time it was like, yeah, well, they didn't show up with the safe and we had no money and we just had to shoot it as is. But when the Emperor from Return of the Jedi is hanging out outside the door and Dolph misses, he shoots several times and misses, it undermines everything. I'm like, wait, if he's supposed to be a badass, why did he miss so many shots when this person's just like, that's not even point blank range. Like she's literally brushing up against the barrel as she runs out the door. Like, I mean, this is, it's so cramped in here. Like you'd have to be talented to miss. I don't get it, but he does. To Dolph's credit, the reason why you might feel like you don't see him doing a whole lot of fighting, certainly running, is he hurt himself on this set 
and he couldn't move and they had to write that in there. So I think originally at some point he was supposed to chase this person. But Dolph, you'll notice if you ever have the misfortune to watch this film again, he will never be able to run in this because his, I think, ankle was busted. He can barely walk. I just thought it was because he was a big, muscular older man with bad joints yeah they're they're playing into that because he's you know depressed and old and got the scars on his back they do what they can to cover it but truthfully they hired adolf probably that's probably why he uh, no one else would pay his rate because he can't fight but this cheap production said okay as long as you can shamble through this picture we'll take it so help me walk through in retrospect what's happening here or shamble through because from the past, in the kingdom of Ebb, yes. these assassins and the Holy Mother have come. The person who he fails to shoot, we're going to see later on, was the Holy Mother. Right. All of these people have come for him to say, can you come back with us and help us stop the king? Right. But they're wearing big hoods and cloaks and everything. Yes. And so... And it, trying to kill him. But they're not trying to kill him. No, 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 no. Ileana is being chased by Raven's men through the portal. She's coming to get Granger and the old lady that he ends up... He does shoot her because it ends up killing her later. She's just sneaking around with the assassins to make sure everything goes correctly. No, no. <laughs> no she <laughs> wants to bring this guy back to Holy Mother. This is the hero that will bring her back into the ratty-ass kingdom that's barely standing up that they were kicked out of. But she didn't, like, pass the memo along to all her henchmen not to kill the guy. What? Yeah. <laughs> She's there to collect him, but instead of holding up a sign and a cake... Like she brought killers. And they're all dressed in black robes yeah. and breaking into the place. Okay, so we're all on the same page that they're there to say you're our savior. Surprise! <laughs> no, she's there to do it. I don't know why she brought killers to <laughs> a party. Because later on, he's going to face off against more killers from this tribe. Oh, yes. And one can kill him yes. and chooses not to. Right. Because they have the orders that this guy's the chosen one. Don't hurt him. Right. But yet, here, it looks like they're trying to kill him. Right. I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. The original concept of this... Well, the original concept was this was all happening in a museum. And then when Dolph said, I want an action scene in the jungle fighting in a war, the idea was that she appeared and collected him. And I think because he had his eye on her, he didn't save his troops. And he, the reason why he feels so guilty about the men that lost and he toasts them every year is because she caused them to die by either putting him in the future or taking him out of the future. Not totally clear. It wasn't pristine. But you see what I'm going for here. That was the whole idea of the whole war background and the dead soldiers that he chose. And all of that was that she would be shot in the middle of a gun battle and was there to... I don't know if it was a baby. I think they'll say in this version that she brought him as a baby into the future. God knows who raised him. An orphanage. The original conception was she literally just took him from one fight in medieval times to a new fight in modern times and used magic to make him believe that that's where he belonged. Yeah, no, they. he even says that she dropped him off at an orphanage. He, he was raised as an orphan. Okay. That was made clear. But I'm still confused as to who are the bad guys? Yes. 
So the assassins aren't working for Raven. Those are the Holy Mother's assassins that she's sneaking around with unbeknownst to them. Yes. That are chasing the sorceress. Who is evil and is working for Raven. Oh, boy. I missed that completely. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's one of those kinds of twists that's brilliant until you take two seconds to think about it. And then you go, that's stupid as hell. And the sorceress who opens the portal to take him to the past Mm -hmm. where they shouldn't want him. Because the whole point is we don't want him back here because he can screw things up. But she opens the portal. They step through and she's killed. So we never get a real good mwahaha, I'm really evil moment. Right. That's hiding it. You know, it's in a Shyamalanian way. Like if she had lived, she would be able to reveal her evil plan. But because the guys we think that are bad called dark ones stab her, we will believe that they're the enemy for two thirds of the movie. How much do I have to pay to get Shyamalan and Bull in a boxing <laughs> ring together. <laughs> I'll pitch into that Patreon. But the sorceress appears to him and saves his life in a dream. She wakes him up right before she's stabbed by the concubine. That really wasn't supposed to happen. There was some miscommunication between the screenwriter and Bull, and the screenwriter didn't think that should even be in here. But again, we get it. This is a chaotic set where everyone had different ideas about what was supposed to happen, and everyone saw the Terminator but couldn't remember how it worked. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not wrong in thinking this story is really nonsensical. No, I think someone told Dr. Manhattan, the love interest in this story, she shows up in a yellow hoodie. I think she thought it was Village 2. I'm like, no, in the name of the king, too. Like, why are you wearing that yellow hoodie? Oh, I don't know. I just heard it was some shitty twist (laughs) storyline. Okay, so now we end up at the Ren Fair that they're renting for the weekend right before it gets torn down for a strip mall. And we meet Raven for the first time. And you guys, did you catch this? Because I thought... It was on screen for a reason and it would pay off later. But he is putting his wig on and then his helmet in the shot. Yes. And I'm like, oh, he's just wearing a wig. Nope, it's never brought up again. I think that we just caught him getting ready for the shot. I saw it too. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? His whole hair is moving on his head. (laughs) Wait a minute. You mean that they uh, cop to the fact that it's a wig? Because, my God, what is his hairdo like that they couldn't use it instead of this? This hair is so bad. Like, if he had dyed it pink mohawk, that's better than what they are having him wear. I know this looks like just a generic page wig that you'd get at the Halloween Superstore that's open for one month a year. (laughs) But yes, he's shifting it on his head before putting on the crown. And I was like, why is that shot there? (laughs) I'm not going to go back to look, but I'm sad that I missed that little laugh. I was probably trying to scribble down in my notes some other nonsense I was figuring out. And I knew that somewhere in the series we were going to encounter Lachlan Monroe, but I didn't realize it was this film, and I wasn't reading names in the opening credits, I guess, because I'm just like, hey, it's Lachlan Monroe. And then my question is, can this actor, who's not really shown a lot of range in scary movie and... I want to interject here and say I had absolutely no idea who he is and don't think I've ever seen him in anything. So I don't have a lot of suspense as to what he means. Again, we reviewed him in Freddy vs. Jason. I, that means nothing. Like, okay, he is someone that has consistently worked good for him. What does he mean to you that he is in this wig, in this movie in 2011? He's usually a comedy actor. Okay. He goes broad. I I'm laughing. 
And I really first came to know him in Dead Man on Campus, where he played Cliff, brother of Joe, who wanted to fuck a couch, fuck a lamp. My question was, this guy, who I feel has a very modern vibe, can he do better than Matthew Lillard? That's the bar. Okay. Okay, so he is kind of like a Matthew Lillard in your mind. Somewhat, yeah. They probably competed for the same scripts in the 90s. Yes, and Lillard got them all. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. All right, I didn't even know this, so thank you for educating me on what I just assumed was an extra that got lucky one day and was handed a wig. And I'll say he is not as good as Matthew Lillard, but he's better than Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> or worse, depending on laugh quotient. I mean, if you're talking about sheer times I smile, but this guy's got nothing. Once I got over the wig, I got over everything. And King Raven is, yes, the replacement for Statham. This is a direct sequel. This is not something that has no tether to the first movie. He will mention the fact that the previous king was loved, but he was wiped out by disease and these dark ones. And that's all the handiwork of this witch. And Dolph, you need to go kill this witch. He's setting up Granger to be his hitman because I guess he doesn't trust his own men to go and kill Holy Mother. So wait, the witch and Holy Mother are different, right? Holy Mother's off in the mountains, they think, right? But the witch is just living in that tree outside. Oh, no. The witch is Holy Mother. Yes. But then there's also a seer who's living outside in the tree who they send Granger to see so that he can be further convinced. Because the king's like, you got to go kill this Holy Mother and then go see the seer. And the seer's like, you have three tasks. One is you've already done it. You traveled through time. (laughs) That means I have two tasks. I traveled through time. The next is kill the Holy Mother. Working on it. He was already like in process. (laughs) Didn't need to meet you in a tree to to know that. And the third is to find the catalyst. The catalyst alone shall release your restraints and guide you to your destiny. I'm not sure that that ever happens. No. But the seer was full of shit because this was all a setup by Raven anyway. And Raven is really like... I knew not to trust him because he's too buddy-buddy with Granger, right? He's Nobody gets to spend this much time with the king. You, The king has people for that. You don't just hang out with the king and find out the king's real name that nobody knows because they just call him king, but he's really named Raven. It's very clear that he, although this may be the king, no one really is going to respect him. Obviously, it's for Dolph to like earn this throne. If Dolph is the only star in this movie I recognize, obviously, he is going to do these labors and get this crown. And this bozo will either be killed like Bert or will be revealed to be traitorous, which is what happens. Listen, I'm, I, I know you say the only person you recognize is Dolph, but Lachlan Monroe has worked a lot more in the past 20 years than Dolph. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm glad that he means something to you. I'm just saying when I'm experiencing this movie, I see this guy as a nothing, you know, as a usual Uva Bowl. This is who I could get to do this part kind of extra and not thinking that he is anything other than a means to send off on his quest. And Dolph is... 
it's strange. He is kind of playing it like a Kurt Russell or maybe a Bruce Campbell, a Bruce Willis. He's very sarcastic. They've written him in a way that he is going to experience all of this with tongue in cheek and try to bring humor. Like, I feel like this is supposed to work as a time traveling comedy and Dolph is the funny one. Yeah, it's like they're trying to do a little bit of fish out of water type of material, but never really like even trying to sell it. It's like every once in a while, Dolph will make a comment about the future. And, you know, even with the gun, you know, it's like, ooh, what is your magic arrow shooter or whatever? And it's that's not working. You know what I'm saying? It's like either you go full in on the fish out of water or just let it go. Because the way it's playing now, Dolph is just like never even stops to reflect like what happened to me today i fell through a magical portal and now i'm in medieval times like he's just he goes along with it it's like oh well yep i'm gonna take a nap with this hooker and we'll wake up and we'll go from there yeah i feel like you never want to cast him as the funny one you can make him the straight man you know what switch it with this lachlan guy you're saying he's known for comedy have lachlan be the modern guy that gets pulled back and dolph is on the throne as the king and suddenly i'm well, I'm still confused, but I get, like, the comedy rhythms better. Except nobody, including me, wants to see a movie where the heroic Lachlan Monroe triumphs over Dolph Lundgren at the end. I mean, you say you like him. I don't know why that wouldn't be appealing to you. But, uh, all right, so we have a series of scenes that are supposed to set Granger up in this comedy role. The first one is there's this woman in his bed, and she's an assassin, Bull did say he was fighting very hard to make this R-rated and wanted this to be a three-way with the doctor coming in as well, but they just wouldn't let him. Who wouldn't let him? Canada? Because <laughs> I was – you know Canada is kinky. That cannot be true. That's true. They have porn on TV like all the time. Yeah. But I was shocked that Bull – I mean he's crass. Dave Foley walked around full frontal for what felt like half a postal. I was surprised that – this movie never had a titty shot for all these women who are supposed to be trying to seduce him. There's one in his bed under the covers and she stands up and he goes, cover yourself. And then we see her, she's in bloomers and yes. like, a yeah, <laughs> cut off. Lots of elastic bands in the medieval times too. I take yeah. it. She'd fill a whole window like drapery. Like it's amazingly <laughs> how covered she is in that. It's You're right. It's the opposite of sexy, which we're supposed to be thinking is very sexy. I will say that Uva says the whole time that he blames the rating system and that they wouldn't let him. But I think that, you know, Uva is just paranoid and everyone is out to get him. You know, like literally, if you're Uva Bull all day long, people say nothing but unkind things to you. So you just perceive everyone as being hostile and not letting you do what you want. And he has this general sense of oppression coming from them, not letting him do what he wants, which is in this case, expose this woman, which apparently he had done many times before. He, on the commentary, joked about the actress, Michaela Mann. She started my first movie as the girl that got raped. You'll remember her from that. She became a postal babe, and I was lucky enough to get her because she had gone off to university to try and leave acting behind and needed a paycheck. So this is basically one step up or maybe down from stripping for tuition. That's what we're watching here. I mean, if anything, it sounds like she he, she learned her lesson and knew where to draw the line. It's like, look, I'll show my breasts in your earlier movies because I wasn't really sure what's going on. This is 
in the name of the king too. You don't need me full frontal. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they decided too it wouldn't look right for a six foot six man to beat up on her once she's revealed to be this killer. So they have this really awkward thing where like she wakes up on top of him holding a knife and then like it ends up sticking in her chest. Uh, we don't see how or why. Did she fall on it? Did she kill herself? They did not want Dolph to beat on her. So awkwardly, this becomes some kind of suicide. And there's all these talk of like, he did not wish to lay with a woman, but he did not wish to lay with a man. Yeah, a lot of 40-year-old gay panic jokes from Airplane (laughs) in this movie. It's really funny stuff. Let me tell you, just blow the dust off this and roll. I mean, you get it. I mean, Uva at this point has revealed where his comedy lies and it's in crass, un-PC jokes. I feel like I must just make a disclaimer on behalf of Now Playing. Airplane's a very funny movie. Yeah, for the most part, but it's dated. I mean, we can't all admit, culturally, we did clutch our pearls about things now that seem no big deal. What I'm saying is, no joke in this movie would have gotten a laugh, even if that same joke were an airplane. Fair enough. But yeah, and then there's this other Dr. Manhattan, which, again, no connection. All I can think of is the big blue dick. Yeah, she's not even naked. She's not blue. And I don't even know that Uva would know what Watchmen is. You know, I would go with the name Dr. Manhattan if, like, this were taking place in the continental United States. But given that we're in Canada, shouldn't she be like Dr. Toronto or something? Yeah. Yeah. Manhattan is a Native American word, I believe. I mean, I don't even know what it's doing in the medieval times. No. (laughs) But yeah, she is going to be, Natalie Malfay, I think is how you pronounce it, is going to be Blood Rain in the Blood Rain sequels when Christina Loken leaves. We'll find this out in a couple weeks. She's given the task of, I think, Working for Raven, but supposedly falling in love with this chosen one. She is starstruck by it's all the kind of fish out of water comedy of like, how do you open these pill bottles and learning that penicillin is moldy cheese and dreaming about it. It's some kind of joke. I got that she was a love interest. We get this wonderful emotional scene where Dolph is talking about the death of his wife and that endears her to him it is a movie where you want something you want some kind of heat to be happening here and yeah you're right you do wonder why a b-movie can't produce boobies and have sex but they even cut away from their sex scene like when it actually comes again uva on the commentary is insisting they made him do it who you tell me who would say cut away from something people want to see to do stock footage of soldiers standing guard i can't even understand this yeah, I again, that's why I asked who made this movie. I know who directed this movie, but who made this movie is what I can't figure out. Uva is making this movie. Is it a mystery that Uva makes movies in this way? I mean, we very well know his style. As Dolph put it, he has his own style because of his personality. And so, yes, he talked to famous people with money and convinced them he was making Lord of the Rings or Two Towers and he made Two Worlds. But what I'm saying is, who are they then? Who are the they? Yeah, who, who's leashing him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what I'm guessing is, this is just me totally speculating, is that his directing is so bad he didn't get the shots that he wanted. He was probably screaming at the woman, take off your top, show us your tits. And she went no and walked off the set. 
and they had the footage they had, and now he's saying they wouldn't let him. From the grumblings I saw of the people in the cast that talked about being on the set was that they constantly didn't understand what was happening, and he didn't get what he needed to. I mean, this is a man that is making four movies simultaneously, so he may not have even known what set he was on or what was occurring. It's not a mystery that things are disconnected. And that, yes, nothing that we're usually responding to as entertainment can be found in this first 30 minutes. But now it's act two and Dolph is going to go on a quest. It was supposed to be four labors. He was also supposed to go to some ring of fire, which is why we get two action scenes back to back. They had to cut out the ring of fire stuff and all of a sudden more people run out of the woods. But it's basically a bunch of people in black jumping out of trees and blowing darts and swinging swords. These costumes are so bad. These costumes wouldn't fly at Comic-Con. I mean, these are... Yeah. They don't lay right. They don't have the right flow to them for ancient fabrics. It literally looks like these ninjas are wearing sheets. (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. And that's what I was about to just, like, hark on here is it's... At this point now that we're in Act 2, it's just become painfully obvious that, like... There is no production value here. At least in the last one, we got establishing shots and some... It was crappy CGI, but at least they put some effort into making it look like they're standing in front of a castle at parts, you know? And we had drone shots to establish the area we're in. So far, we've seen a street in downtown Vancouver, an apartment, a Ren fair, and now we're going to spend a whole shitload of time on a beach and a forest. Yeah, they basically just went to a national park. I'm guessing they didn't even have permits. You know, they just pick up shots, run and gun kind of stuff. You said there wasn't a lot of tripods. It was probably because the authorities were literally chasing them away. No rehearsals. One take in many cases. This is what student films look like. If you wanted to go to film school and never did, this is what the guy that loves Lord of the Rings hands in as his Tech One project. And you go, oh, my God. If you ever wanted to go to film school and never finish, you'll end up being you both. Well, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the anger I think that any film student feels is that, well, you know, I understand why I had my limitations. You had $4 million and you had famous people that had been on other movie sets. And if Uva Bowl was a more giving collaborator they could have probably helped him make a better film, but he doesn't listen. That is the problem. He's a know-it-all. He thinks he knows what he's doing. He's the genius. You shut up. And so you get what you get. You get a bunch of garbage. Again, I don't even think he has any love for this genre. Like in Postal, I felt like, you know what? He loves this comedy. He loves this kind of satire. I don't think he wants to be in this world at all. I think he would want to be anywhere other than Ebb, and it shows. I can't tell because I didn't think he wanted to be on the island of the House of the Dead either. He just, no, he makes films so poorly. And you know what? This is damning. But last week we reviewed what I think is his best film. And to go from that back to this, it's like, oh, yeah. You really are a piece of shit, aren't you? I briefly thought you didn't stink as bad as I remembered you stinking. It's like you break up with a cheating girlfriend and she comes back and she's like, I've changed. And you go out on a date and she might have changed. And no, now she's cheating on you again. Yeah, it shows you what money can buy. Because with that kind of money, he could hire people that could do their job without having to listen to him. And so you had a level of professionalism on that set that meant that you got good. We all admitted there were good shots 
in the movie. There are no good shots here. There's not one sequence that makes sense or even looks cool. <laughs> it's awful all day long. It really is. The whole thing has a gray pallor to it. It's like when they were color timing it, they color timed it and just pulled the saturation down. All right, so my favorite bit, you know, again, I'm seeing this movie three times. <laughs> the screenwriter said, all right, when I wrote this battle scene, and we've had like two, we can talk about it, but I really don't want to go into the battle scene. You know, a bunch of people throw shit at each other. <laughs> when I wrote this battle scene, it would end with Dolph Lundgren. Let's see if you can guess in the movie where this happens. Dolph Lundgren and the Dr. Manhattan are going to leap off a mountain and they're going to fall into some rapids and they're going to go down the river and the vial of poison that she has is going to break and they're going to wash up on shore. That's what he wrote. What we see on the screen is <laughs> Allard, the henchman, pushes them down a slight incline. Yes! And the other people can't run down that incline, so they stop chasing them and just stab Allard. No, he just pushes Dolph, and then she's like, I'm going to! <laughs> yes, yeah, like Buttercup from Princess Bride. She throws herself head first over this, down this hill. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, but I mean, I, I, calling it a hill is extreme. <laughs> It wouldn't pass the buster as a bunny slope in the lamest ski resort. This is a dip. I mean, like, there's no reason why anyone can't pursue them, but they're like, oh, we've made it. We've gotten away. So from a mountain into a waterfall into a river, we end up on screen with a slight incline and a tributary. That's what ends up on screen. This confused me, though, because Allard was the king's right-hand douchebag. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I say that because he was really just a jerk the whole fucking time. Yeah. But here, he seems to be saving Granger's life and then single-handedly fighting these assassins. And Granger's like, without him, I wouldn't have been able to continue. I owe everything to him. I'm like, so Raven isn't an asshole that we have to overthrow? Allard really was a good guy? Because he does die here. He gets stabbed in the back by some balding guy. It's like, I thought this was telling me he really was a good guy the whole time. But no, he was fighting. All these people attacking were still the Holy Mother's assassins. Uh, here's all I can tell you. They were mystified by the fact that they were 18 people, and I didn't get that from the head count. I think it was like nine extras that like went and ran around the camera and came back <laughs> again. <laughs> but they were coming through the forest, and then they were supposedly ambushed by 18 other people from the Holy Mother. I never saw 27 people on screen. We know that's not true, but that's what they're <laughs> telling us. And what Allard and Granger talk about is the fact that there must be a spy in our midst because how did the enemy know that we had 18 people and matched it exactly? So they believe that somebody, because they would have sent, what, five people? That kind of logic doesn't really follow. But what I'm extracting out of it is that they believe that there's an enemy in their midst that is leaking information to Holy Mother. I thought it was Allard because he was the one that was giving Granger so much guff. But I think that the screenwriter probably had something other worked out. And guess what? In an Uva Bowl production, it ends up what it is. He is in death, turned into a, a martyr, a hero that allows Granger and now his love interest. They're now in love together, even though she is holding a vial of poison handed to her by the king. 
And this is about the same time that we're cutting back to the kingdom and realizing that Raven is an alchemist who is concocting a poison in uh, open container, which if it's going to kill anybody, I would think would be him and the people surrounding him. <laughs> but we're to believe ultimately is the potion that he wants to bring into the future and kill all of us. Why does he want to kill all of us? Um, because I understand why he'd want to kill the people of Ebb. Because it creates chaos and panic and kills the king mm -hmm. and allows him to ascend to the throne because the king's son has been sent to the future. But why would he want to kill the future? I think they were trying to do a parallel between Saddam Hussein poisoning people and this guy. And I don't know that he was always going to be making the poison in the future. I think that could have been Saddam's to deal with. I don't know. Let's stop. Let's just walk <laughs> away. Whatever their intentions were and however noble are absolutely not on screen. And nothing can explain how nonsensical and bad this plot is at this point. All we understand is that even though this chick has revealed to have poison, presumably to kill the hero, he's like, I'll be back in two days. Keep it fresh for me. I got to go see Holy Mother. But he is still romantically tied to her, and she will give him a magical amulet that will place something into the plot at the end. So even though she may be a traitor, she really isn't going to betray Granger. Right? I don't believe so. But this is the part where I start to get even more confused than what I already am. It's like, it's hard to tell who's good, who's bad, who's a double agent. Yeah. And maybe none of that is happening. Maybe I'm just trying to make this movie more interesting than what it is. But the scene coming up is where I'm really just like, okay, so nobody on set even knows what's going on. Because up till now, it's like, at least he was fighting for his life and fighting for what he thought was right. But now he's sneaking in to the encampment where the Holy Mother is. And there's just some poor sap sitting out there making soup. Yeah. He just comes up and straight up just murders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, knock him out. I thought that was a strange choice in that. I think that we were supposed to think that made Dolph look heroic. Like D Dolph was probably always fighting to say, put me in a scene that shows that I'm tough because that's my reputation. But yeah, you see a fat guy overcooking dinner on a campfire and he gets gutted from behind by Dolph. My alliance is not with Dolph in that moment. But he's dressed like all the other assassins. Okay, so he made a bad fashion choice, <laughs> but I don't feel like, yes, there was no reason why he couldn't just walk by that campfire and continue on in this hut that he just feels must have the Holy Mother in it because it was in her contract that this was her trailer. She gets the hut. Everyone else has to sleep on the grass. And this is the big reveal. She's the good guy and the king is the bad guy. And he just believes her. Now, the king said, I'm the good guy. She's the bad guy. You get there and she goes, no, I'm the good guy. He's the bad guy with no proof. He's like, oh, shit, you're the good guy. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I sent some guy named Thane into the forest to kill you for two scenes previously. In fact, fuck Thane. Thane's standing there in the hut and he's like, I sense you're going to die soon. And Dolph just kills him. I'm like, what the, what the hell is going on here? I don't, lady, I don't understand. I get you want your kingdom back, but I do not understand why you're hiding babies in the future, telling people to go get them and go kill them and then kill them for wanting to kill the baby. Whatever, lady, you're dead too. For some reason, she's dying. Well, and this is why I think she was shot at the beginning. And she's dying from that wound. He even says, we have medicine in my time that can save you. Oh, he she was hit. Yes. I thought he missed. I thought he missed too. Okay. All right. So, all right. So he isn't that bad a shot. 
All right. He can shoot an old woman creeping out the door <laughs> at low speeds three feet away from him. Good. I, I'm liking this guy more every second. Our hero. Four feet away. Good shot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they sit literally on a park bench. You can tell like it's literally just the park bench to hash all of this out. And she says something about he can change the future. There's some kind of Terminator speak about the future's not written stone, even though there's some prophecy saying poison's going to be released 14 days after you got, you still have the power to change it if you get the catalyst. And so there's still this mystery built around what's the the catalyst for change that's going to allow him to save the future and all of us from being poisoned by Lachlan Monroe. And the answer is... CGI! An off-the-shelf 3D dragon model that they bought on Fiverr.com. <laughs> this might have been in Dungeon Siege, right? Like, this might literally have been the graphic. I thought it was the dragon from Tales from the Dark Side, the movie at the end, the woman who oh, turns into the yeah. dragon. I thought... It looked a lot like that. Well, it's CGI, though, and that was like puppets and all of that. It was a gargoyle, just to be tactical, but I know what you mean. It was very, very unmenacing. And again, is he supposed to be taming it like Pegasus? Or is he supposed to be slaying it because it's the ultimate evil? I, I'm not really sure. It doesn't move well, the CGI. You know, again, for 2011, it is... Not even as good as the snake in Anaconda. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's 20 years behind and barely any footage of it. They have just enough to reference the idea that it's flying around, blowing fire and killing indiscriminately everyone. Like it wants everyone dead, which seems to be the modus operandi of every person on screen, actually, <laughs> including Dolph. But because they can't show the dragon, they do a POV flying shot, right? But I don't think they had money for a helicopter. I think they found like a high road on the top of a hill mm. and filmed out the window because you're just going sideways over <laughs> landscape. I saw the rigging that they did in the first one. They had some cool cameras strung up on ropes, like a ropes course that you might do out in the forest. That was what 60 million gets you. Here, yeah, maybe they attach it to a football and through a long pass. I don't know. It's really, really diminished in its presentation here at the climax. <laughs> and just to establish how menacing the dragon is, you know, Dolph has this scene where he's going to hit him with a rock. He looks into the dragon's eye like there's supposed to be some moment. But then Dr. Manhattan comes and distracts the dragon and the dragon attacks the other assassins. And then we cut to Manhattan and Granger just kind of jogging off the scene. Like, that's that's how they got away. It was like an old man and, and a 30-something lady just jogging in period clothing. And yet he knows he needs this in order to fulfill that nonsensical prophecy that he's concerned about doing for some reason. And I wish I could understand. I think what we are to ultimately understand is Holy Mother had a daughter and she was wanting to lead her people back into the kingdom of Ebb. And this is the catalyst that allows that to happen because it burns down the gate, which is the only thing they have from the kingdom. It's like this really sad, like theater flat that like you literally could just push it over. Like, but this is the gate to lead into this kingdom. And they've been kept out of it for so long. They needed a dragon in order to fight their way in. 
Yeah, that was Donanaya? Donanoa. I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't know why she's showing up here at the end. Like, why not just have the Holy Mother be there? Like, why suddenly have her be a daughter? Like, just make it the same character. I don't know why they had to burn the mother and then have this chick show up. But. The thing that's confusing the fuck out of me is this movie came out in 2011, was filmed in 2010. I'm like, this has to be ripping off Game of Thrones because this looks like the Gwendolyn Christie character from that. I mean, a little bit, but I mean, I think to both your points, I think they just wanted to have somebody in somewhat regal attire. Everybody else is just a peasant or wearing clothes that they got from backstage at the local theater group. <laughs> like, they finally have some production value on screen here and somebody wearing, like, nice armor of the time. And that might be the only reason. But the fact that she was a tall, tough, armored blonde, I'm like, well, this is straight out of Game of Thrones. But no, Game of Thrones started after this was filmed. So... Maybe, I doubt if Ubol reads for fun, but maybe he read the books. Maybe the screenwriter read the books. I think you're thinking about this too hard. Lord of the Rings had a tough chick as well. I mean, I do think that you just always want that. I mean, there's always that role for one female to come in and prove that this is not just for dirty boys. And again, if she had been her own catalyst and knocked down that fence... Maybe she would have had some cachet as a tough person, but they give it all to a dragon. And now what? So you've inherited some diseased, pathetic kingdom that, I don't know, are they going to get a disease? Like, he's just been working with all these vials and poisons just out in the open. I would think that the whole ground is like Chernobyl at this point. And why would the Holy Mother's daughter rightfully inherit the kingdom? Shouldn't this movie end kind of like the last one with Dolph on the throne? Well, I think he gives it to her. Like, I think, follow me on this. I think he was saying, do you want to marry me in a roundabout way? Because he is told you're the rightful king. And he says, I will make you queen. I mean, one and one is two, right? But what about Manhattan? Uh, yeah, well, again, in the R-rated cut, there were three ways. So <laughs> we know that somebody was wanting to see. That explains why he didn't want the old woman having this part. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, Uva Bowl just wanted to end the movie that way. Instead, Lachlan Monroe grabs the portal-making bracelet and gets back into Dolph's living room for a very sad fight. Oh my God, this is <laughs> so terrible. I mean, your kids could do better. I mean, this is literally like children jumping around with pots and pans in your kitchen saying we're in a medieval movie. And just to be clear... For anyone who I hope didn't watch this, when you say jumping around with pots and pans, Dolph is literally fighting with a frying pan. Yeah, one guy's got a flashlight and the other guy has a skillet <laughs> and they're going at it. <laughs> and they're like going up narrow stairs. Like it is, I cannot insist how claustrophobic and there's, again, you got a lead actor that can't run, can't move. Like everything about this is so listless and sad, just limping to the finish line here. I think he defeats the guy by bashing his face in a mirror and then putting him in that goddamn tub. Yeah, drowning him. Why is the tub full of water? Well, he poured that bath so long ago. <laughs> yeah, well, that was earlier that day in his time. That's true. But yeah, this whole climactic fight scene takes place in a 10 foot by 10 foot living room, an economy kitchen, yeah. and then a small bathroom where, yes, the answer is he gets to die by his own poison. He's drowning him and he breaks the vial open in the bath, which I thought they made a pretty big deal about water stops the poison from working. Yes, right. So I don't know why that would do anything but you know reasons i guess it was in his mouth though dolph put it in his mouth then kind of like smashed the jaw as he went underwater so maybe you know 
we want to see him die. Maybe he drowned. Maybe he was poisoned. Or maybe he'll be back in the sequel. There is a third one coming. Maybe he's not really dead, but he looks pretty dead. <laughs> Guess what? There's nobody in the next movie. I looked at the cast list who excites me as much as Lachlan Monroe. <laughs> wow. But then we end and Dolph goes back down with his buddies. Justin, you say it's the same day. He takes another shot of that whiskey. Yeah. 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 I think that he just needed an extra pick me up for all this fighting in front of children and pots and pans on the staircase. Like, yeah. You know what? Don't judge the man. You would need a shot, too, if you had just been in Uva Bowls in the name of the king, too. But he looks so happy. He's like, you know, he just looks so self-satisfied as he takes that drink. I just want to try to put your mindset in this. Mm. There's a dead guy upstairs that I have to deal with the body. Yeah, and a biochemical (laughs) weapon in his mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I know that they said water undoes it, but what's going to happen when I release that into the sewer system? Or take a bath in that tub, which was the whole (laughs) point. (laughs) And then I just traveled through time, fought a dragon. You know, he probably could use a bath after these days. Mm. But he's just sitting there with a big smile on his face like, I wonder if I'll ever see him again. (laughs) Oh, he's wanting to get some Dr. Manhattan action. I think we're supposed to believe in the course of this adventure, they fell in love, but in order to save his world, he had to leave her behind. So could the portal open again? Well, no sooner as he walked out of the room than the ambulance is begging us to walk through that portal. Uh Uh-uh. I can tell you, yeah, Dolph ain't going back. Dolph is not in the sequel. Dolph will never work with Uva again. Unfortunately, we have to. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> Justin Stewart, do you recommend In the Name of the King 2 2 Worlds? Justin. <laughs> you know, we already talked about it a little bit. Last time there was effort put into it. You know, the end product wasn't great, but at least some of it came out on screen. It was fun seeing actors that you wouldn't expect to be in a movie like this. And it was even more fun to see actors that you wouldn't expect to see in a movie like this, not caring that they were in a movie like this. And none of that comes through in this next one. This next one feels so small. Every location seriously feels like it was just done guerrilla style. It was done... I mean, half of the scenes, they're shooting like right before daybreak for some reason. And all you can see on screen is their breath fogging up the lens. The last time I had some fun laughing at just how ridiculous it was. There's none of that this time. This time it's just a whole bunch of what the fuck is going on on screen and who is in charge. Oh, that's right. Uva Bull is in charge. Why am I watching this? And it just gets more and more frustrating as it goes along. But the one good thing about this is the way shorter runtime. That last movie, I think the director's cut was two and a half hours. The regular cut was just over two This is a pretty brisk hour, hour and a half type of movie. So at least they didn't pad it out too much. So it's more painful, but less time to get that pain in. I mean, obviously it's not a recommend and it doesn't even get close to being like somewhat of that almost fun brown arrow area. It's just, it's just garbage on screen that I don't even know why it's here. I don't know if it ties to the video game series anymore. And it's definitely not a sequel to the movie we watched last week. So stay away from it. Stuart. Yeah, I could back you up on every claim there. And I might even go as far as to say this is Uva at his worst. Has he been worse than this? I mean, he's been bad. He's been really bad. But I, you're right. So small. Such a tawdry, cheap nothing of an experience. You can't believe that anyone thought it was professional enough to put on a Blu-ray and commercially release. It's just so not a movie. I have one compliment for Two Worlds. I think it's a compliment. At least something that's not smearing its name and shit. Dolph is no worse than Jason Statham. The surprise is 
You know, we think of Jason Statham bringing a wicked sense of humor to his martial arts movies. And last week, he was out of his element as that kung fu farmer. He didn't know how to work in this environment. He made no sense. I actually think Dolph plays a little bit better. I think that he has, God help us, a little bit more personality. I can't say this movie got Dolphed. Or if this movie got Dolphed, it was better for it. It got better because Dolph was in it. But that's the only improvement here. Everything else is the worst strongest of not recommends there's a moment in this film that i mean it kind of feels like they're ripping off doom fear is the mind killer and all of that they're like the seer says you alone are the chosen one you must cast the fear out of your heart or you shall fail it's your fear that weakens you you must leap into the void to be truly free your fear will carry you to the pits of hell First of all, I don't think he ever leaps into any void. <laughs> that tub. <laughs> that tub <laughs> is a pit of hell. I do believe. But I felt that quote epitomizes where I'm at. It's my fear that weakens me. My fear that the next movie could possibly be even worse than this one. Mm. You know, Jacob told me about this podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. And it's these guys who every week watched Grown Ups 2 and then did a podcast reviewing Grown Ups 2. The same movie oh, yeah. every week for a year. I heard about that. I never listened to it. I never saw Grown Ups 2 either. I feel like I need to see the movie first for 80 <laughs> times where I can appreciate that show. But it sounds kind of funny. I feel like we are on that same path. Mm, well, yes. I mean, Deciding to review every Uva Bowl film is the worst idea of all time. I think I should combat them for the title. I'm like, oh, no. Grown Ups 2 52 times. Nay, sir. I have sat through In the Name of the King 2. <laughs> not recommend yeah i think what happened was we had just to offer a glimmer of hope nobody liked the movie last week but it wasn't absolute dog shit and we thought maybe just maybe this guy was competent or close enough to competent that he could just make bad films and now we know very clearly take away all his money take away the professionals and he's as awful as your child with a camcorder he really is the E.L. James of film, isn't he? Like, Fifty Shades of Grey is a shit-written novel, and yet so many wannabe novelists can't get published, and that thing sells billions of copies. So many people with talent have film degrees or are in film school and could do so much better and would be appreciative to be there and know it's Uva. Yeah, all the breaks. Again... Like, even to work with Dolph Lundgren, like, some people would kill for that honor. And this guy has worked with, yeah, Oscar-winning actors, had budgets that are over $50, 60000000 million. Again, keep in mind, House of the Dead, even, was a $15 million production. <laughs> I mean, there's just no explaining this. There's no explaining how you can take so much resource and mulch it into a negative antimatter. Clint Howard doesn't come cheap, Stuart. <laughs> you know what? But he's good enough not to come back. Like, he knew. And so we're not smart enough. We're going to be back. It's the last one. It's called The Last Mission. It's not our last Uva Bowl mission, but it's the last time we got to deal with Dungeon Siege. I'm going to be perfectly honest. We have a coronavirus contingency plan for Now Play. We actually talked about it and kind of worked up a contingency plan. What happens if one of us gets Corona? You're not going to get Corona to get out of this, sir. <laughs> you have to go and watch this movie 
I Damn would, it. I would rather get Corona. <laughs> I mean, if we can choose. Well, you will. Don't worry. You will. By all predictions, it seems like it's a matter of time. But you will also get bold next week with The Last Mission. In the name of the gang You three. still got to come back and do it with me. I am not doing this alone. That's the same for you, Justin. Don't you be getting no disease and thinking that's a hall pass. Yeah. Solidarity, man. Alright, well, in the meantime, if you want to hear us review a good movie, Risky Business, a definite classic of the genre, and we'll see. I only think I saw it once. I have a memory of an egg and fucking on a train, and that's it. Oh, and Bob Seger, of course. Teen sex comedies aren't my favorite genre, but I do remember feeling like this one was the seminal one. This is the one that you want to do. Tom Cruise did it better than anybody else in the 80s with Risky Business. We'll find out next week. So, listeners, thank you for suffering through this movie with us if you did indeed watch it. And until next week, game over. Did it. Will I ever see you again? What is it you said? Perhaps in my dreams tonight. Perhaps another time. Perhaps another time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs> you have won nothing but time. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You have killed these! I will simply beckon more! Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Do you sometimes long for something more? Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Your king needs you. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Does it occur to you, farmer, that there may be events of greater importance than the loves and losses of our particular lives? Nah doesn't occur to me. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Your king needs you far more than he understands. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Well, that saved us a lot of time. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Make it 
happen. You wish to accelerate things? Fine! We shall accelerate. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. The King's army will require every man capable of combat. Who is with us? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I cannot stand the suffering rule of that senile goat. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I have friends. I wield influence. Now Playing is edited by Stephen and Arnie. My mom always told me when someone looks at, you should give them a hook. Now playing credits read by Brock. I was just talking. Just talking. Well, everyone's got a talent. Just talking seems to be yours. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I only know what you tell me, and you tell me nothing. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Unless the king specifically orders it, you cannot touch me. Imperial law. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. What manner of vengeance are you enjoying, farmer? The vengeance of a father? The vengeance of a husband? Or the vengeance of a king? Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. For king! For country! Not making things any clearer is a sorceress named Elania. Eliana? Eliana? Eliana. Eliana. (laughs) I'm pausing because I got confused. Mm. I apparently wrote two plot summaries. I forgot I did it. (laughs) And in the middle of that first plot summary, I'm like, Granger, a former Special Forces soldier living in Vancouver. (laughs) Wait, what the fuck? (laughs) You, well, you're like this movie. You're just retelling us information we already knew. <laughs> Got to fill up the time somehow.